0: welcome to the waves slates podcast about gender feminism and student loan forgiveness every episode you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds and today you've got me lizzie o'leary host of what next tbd And me,
1: Emily Peck, co-host of Slate Money. Hello. Hello, Lizzie.
0: It's nice to see you. Yeah. We are going to dig into Biden's loan forgiveness plan, but I I just want to drop my background, which is I have been really interested in student debt and debt relief since I started covering it, which was about 2013 or so. And that reporting... Really upended a lot of I think my assumptions about debt, who has it, what it looks like, how much there is and by that point i I had paid off my grad school loans. I did not have undergrad loans um uh, thanks to my parents and and my grandfather and when I started doing like the in depth reporting, I did a big series, and I thought that I would be hearing the like I have two hundred thousand dollars in loans, horror stories, and instead, you know the things. That were really trapping people were balances of eight thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars, twenty-two thousand dollars. They were especially hurting women the most, especially hurting women of color, and often they were like degrees that weren't seen as having a, a high earnings premium in the workplace, or or people who went to school and had debt but no degree. They didn't finish, which is the worst of all worlds.
1: Mm. This is a topic for me I can't stop thinking about because, well, for a while, I didn't think about it at all. I I paid off my student loans back in 2015 and more recently watched the debate over loan forgiveness with kind of bemused indifference, I guess, if I'm being honest. I mean, people have very strong opinions about the topic and the whole thing kind of turned me off. And even though I'm a business and economics reporter, I just... I just said, I'll wait and see what happens, if anything happens. And then something happened. The White House announced last week it would be doing loan forgiveness. Um, And then pretty quickly, I stumbled across this incredible stat, which is two thirds of student loan debt is held by women with black Mm. women holding the most. So then I was intrigued and also a little abashed for not paying more attention all along.
0: After the break, Emily and I will dig into student loans and all the back and forth about debt relief. All right, Waves listeners, if you are loving the show, you want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, you can check out our other episodes, like last week's, about why Jane Austen still slaps. We're going to talk now about why debt hits women so hard, whether the president's student debt relief makes any difference. I want to go through some of the basics of the Biden plan, right? So $10,000 in debt relief to borrowers with federal loans who earn under $125,000, married couples filing jointly who earn about $250,000, and also the 10K goes up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. And this is a little nerdy, but I think the other thing that's important to know is that income-based repayment, right now you can do income-based repayment and and your payments max out at 10% of your income. That's actually going to go down to 5%. So that could really help people in terms of their monthly outlay. Um, Emily, I think it would help if you could sort of explain the economic landscape for women who take out debt for college. Um, I guess we should say women borrowers overall, right? Because Often, parents, grandparents take out debt for someone else's school as well. So basically,
1: women owe more money for student loans because women make less money than men overall, and especially women of color, especially black women. And that wage differential actually happens right after you graduate school, pretty much. Hmm. Um, In the Wall Street Journal, they recently did a nice analysis and found pay for men Outstripped pay for women just three years after graduation. And the gaps are pretty wide. So women go to school. They take out more money, especially Black women. They take out more money than men and white women. They graduate. They get lower-paying jobs. And it takes them longer to pay off the money. So pretty simple. And then you think of all the other headwinds women might face that men might not face, um, kids, childcare to pay for, all the headwinds that we talk about all the time on the waves, and that keeps them from paying down debt. And it keeps, as we know, the problem with debt is it keeps building and building, right, making it, you know,
0: worse and worse. I'm struck listening to you that, that this doesn't even take into account, like the, the motherhood penalty, right? That those numbers you're talking about are right out of the gate. So you can actually predict someone's earning power, a woman's earning power, and their power to pay back their loans is going to shrink once they get hit with that, what, 4% uh, 6%, motherhood? Yeah. 6% motherhood tax. Yikes. Thank you, Claudia Golden, for doing that work so I didn't have to.
1: No, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's it's only going to get worse. Women make less than men. Women who become mothers make even less than that. Black women make less than white women. The money coming in, the economic picture for women is already they're already behind the curve. And student loan debt is really kind of like an extra, like, here's some more rocks for your pocket kind of a situation.
0: How does race figure into this picture? Because we've, we've talked about Black women a little bit, but I think it's it's really important to kind of get some of the numbers in.
1: I think what's important to say at the outset when we're talking about race is that overall, white wealth outstrips Black wealth by many, many factors. It's, it's astounding. White people just have far more wealth. So when you're ready to go to college... If you're in a white family, you're going to get more financial support than if you're in a black family, typically. So we know that black recipients of bachelor's degrees borrow $40,000 or more compared to, I think, 18000 for all graduates. And they have higher default rates. And I also know, because I wrote about it for Axios, where I also work, that A typical black borrower will still owe 95% of their student loan 20 years after they graduate. Wow. Compared to 6% for a white borrower. And um, there's a good piece in the Associated Press actually about this that made one interesting point, which is that because a lot of these black borrowers are coming from families with less wealth, When they finish school, if they finish school, not all student loan borrowers finish, they might be able to make more money, but because their family's going to need that money also. So there's one woman told the AP, she said, you're ensuring that your little brothers and sisters have what they need for school. You're helping parents pay off their rent, their house. So your quote unquote wealth doesn't even have time to be built because you're trying to help your family survive. So it's like what we were talking about women, you know, paying for their own children, they're also, in some cases, having to keep their families afloat as well. Not in every case, but a lot.
0: And I think this is a thing that you see get maybe glossed over in some of the conversations about student debt, because people are looking at income, like a lot of these numbers that we look at are parsed out by income. But in reality, taking the wealth picture rather than income gives you like a much broader sense, right? Like you might be earning a $100,000, but if that $100,000 is going to, you know, your family, your parents, a lot of other expenses versus someone who has none of those expenses, it's a very, very different picture.
1: Yeah. For young adults coming out of college, making choices about what jobs they take, family wealth makes a big difference because if you know you have that backup you can make interesting career choices maybe you can take a job that pays less money you know mom and dad have their house you know in Westchester you can go visit them whatever it doesn't matter you're
0: basically describing me but I'm and sorry. yes i could no it's there's no i mean you yeah. know, there's there's no i'm sorry like it is what it is and i yeah. had the luck and the privilege to be able to do that um right.
1: And we could say it was unfair, which is a term that people hmm. like to use about student loan relief,
0: It was unfair. Th- it is unfair. Yes.
1: So I think if you don't have, you know, the parents' house in the suburbs or you don't have that backup, you're going to make different choices. And the loan just makes it even harder to make those choices with your own long-term economic interests in mind.
0: Back when I was reporting on this a lot, one of the people whose work I read often was Judith Scott Clayton, who's a, a professor at Columbia and You know, her studies show that black graduates, and we're talking graduates, have nearly $25,000 more student loan debt than their white peers, which is another just like statistic. I think, I mean, I guess like pretty much every issue, the scaffolding of the student debt debate is built on, you know, the, the bedrock of like, American inequality, right? It's not that hard to see where these fault lines are going to fall. And it helps you understand why the Congressional Black Caucus was pushing for $50,000 in debt relief, for example, rather than what the Biden administration went with.
1: Yeah. All the economic inequities and biases Americans face broadly come to a head here with student loans.
0: I think in particular because, you know, a lot of people were told Student debt is good debt, right? This is debt that if you take it on, it's going to help you get a better job, a better salary. And like, yes, that is true. The median earnings of graduates are higher than than people who do not hold a college degree. But it's unclear whether that debt really is good debt. I think a lot of people would argue otherwise at this point.
1: You are better off taking out the debt, I think, unless you go to a for-profit college, which we're probably not going to talk about too much, but that's bad. <laughs> don't do that. Guys, don't do that if you're listening and you haven't gone to school yet.
0: I think, I think this is really important, though. What you're bringing up, Emily, is like what kind of schools we're talking about, right? Because the quote-unquote college is not one thing. And if you went to four-year state school, if you went to a two-year program, if you went to a community college, these are all different kinds of schools, right? The, the earnings premium is different depending on where you went and whether you finish. And I think one of the things I'm most interested in this debt relief program is, is people who have debt and no degree. And like there are like a couple of different analyses, but that the number is probably somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of borrowers, which is crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the nightmare scenario. You don't get the wage premium, but you still owe the money. And that is horrible to pay back. I spoke to one guy recently. He dropped out of college after two years and his loan payments were, he said, only $100 a month and he couldn't afford to pay them. Oof. He was making like around 30000 a year. And he was like if it comes down to rent and these payments, like I'm not making the payment right he hasn't. I mean, no one's made a payment in a while, <laughs> thanks to the pandemic moratorium on loan payments. But yeah, that's the nightmare. You can't get the premium
0: to come back to to sort of like the central tenet of what we're talking about. those borrowers tend to be, you know, in in loan parlance non-traditional, which means women often mothers, maybe they're a little older, they realize that it would be really helpful to have a college degree or, or a trade school degree, right? Like to even get in that room with the white dude who didn't go to college, it really helps to have the credential. And so maybe you went back to school when your kid was two to try to do that, but you couldn't finish for whatever reason, cost of childcare, who knows? And now you're the worst off debt, no degree.
1: Yeah, and that's a a really important point to emphasize, Lizzie. You were making in our Slack conversation earlier that women, people of color, a lot of times we need these degrees to get in the room. And it's a shame that it costs even more for those who need it most to obtain.
0: We are going to take a quick break here, but if you want to hear more from Emily and me on another topic, you can check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist?, where today we are debating whether not folding clothes (laughs) is feminist, is an act of feminism.
1: And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money, That's My Show. And of course, this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes
0: Okay, Emily, I feel like there is no topic that immediately gets people, like, ready to open up their Twitter and just, like, fire up their thumbs like student debt. So let's, let's talk about the criticism. Um, all right, I'm going to do macroeconomic, and then we can get into, like, whining like a small child. The macroeconomic criticism is that this is regressive. So I'm going to read you what the Washington Post editorial board had to say. Widely canceling student loan debt is regressive. It takes money from the broader tax base, mostly made up of workers who did not go to college to subsidize the education debt of people with valuable degrees. Discuss.
1: Fine. Yes, it probably is a little regressive.
0: Like only 20% of Americans go to college. It's small.
1: Is that okay? Sure. But we want people to go to college. We want that number to go higher. So... If this encourages more people to go to college, great. This is for the public good. I want to live in a country where more people are educated, who achieve the highest levels of education that's possible. I believe it's in everyone's best interests for everyone to be educated. So while economically it could be regressive, I think that's okay. And there's other policies that low-income taxpayers pay for that are worse, (laughs) I don't know if that's a okay argument that passes the smell test, but like I'm also funding a corporate tax cut. I'm also funding, you know, mortgage interest tax deduction for rich people. Like huge a,
0: giveaway to affluent people.
1: Yeah, like we could really dig in on that. And like there's a lot of other stuff that's way more regressive and worse, I think.
0: All right. How about, and I, I believe this is a Twitter favorite. I paid my loans slash worked my way through school. You should too. Uphill both ways in the snow.
1: I mean, Lizzie, come on do you do you subscribe to that one? It's like no. they cured the disease, but no one can have the cure because other people had to be sick. It doesn't even what.
0: No, and I actually find this also to be like a particularly ahistorical piece of criticism. If you if you worked your way through school or took out loans when you could have a credit for 200 bucks, great. Like, that's great. That is not the current landscape. And it is certainly not the current landscape when during the Great Recession, after the Great Recession, states, like, whacked down their higher education budgets but kept their tuition up. So guess what? The money had to come from somewhere. I just feel like that's a criticism that might make sense like in a complete vacuum, the fairness thing, but if you actually look at any context, any economic context, it's very silly. Yeah,
1: I mean, a lot of the people who quote unquote work their way through college had, in other words, really low tuition. So they could actually do it. Now that's not it's not possible you could have a job. That's 30 hours a week or something, but you're not going to make your forty five, dollars 50000 tuition. Like, my parents went to City University for free. So, yeah, I guess you could say they worked their way through college, but they were just buying, like, coffee in Danish, and they were living right. at their parents' apartments.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there is a criticism that I think I do agree with, or I do stand behind, which is this does nothing to help with the broader cost of college. Yes, it doesn't. But, like, that's what voting is for. You would think. Well, you would think. But, like, if you want your state to have different fiscal priorities, I agree with that criticism. But I think that this may not be the place for it. But I actually want to kind of poke at that a little bit because I do wonder if we look at this as saying there's no disincentive for colleges to keep charging a lot of money, right, because this does nothing to, to change the cost of college. Is that, is that moral hazard? Is that does that just say like, hey, University of Michigan, Ohio State, just keep throwing those tuition numbers higher and higher and higher because we're going to forgive the loans of, of people who took out money to go there.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a real stumbling block here. I don't think this plan, what the White House has done is by any means solving bigger structural issues with paying for college. And I could see the argument for like, well, this is going to create inflation when it comes to tuition costs is pretty powerful. On the other side, my Slate Money co-host Felix Salmon dug into the numbers and tuition is not at private schools, is not as high as we think it is. People wind up paying a lot less than the advertised rate and Slate has a great Piece We can share in the show notes from a few weeks ago that that really digs into this. So it's a little more nuanced, I think, than a lot of people might believe. It's not necessarily that colleges can just keep raising inflation. In a lot of ways, that inflation has really actually leveled off quite a bit.
0: Well, let's talk about fairness. The president made a comment about this in a very Joe Bideny way. Mr.
1: President, is this unfair to
0: people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans?
1: Is it fair to people who, in fact, uh, do not own multi-billion-dollar businesses They you want these guys to get them all a taxes? Is that fair?
0: One of the arguments is, you know, that this is unfair, but but also the idea that, like, well, people are just going to expect to have their debts forgiven. And it's moral hazard in that way.
1: I don't think it's a moral hazard in that way. I mean, to back up, like I think moral hazard is a phrase that's only ever used when it comes to like normals borrowing money. I first, you know, came across the moral hazard term during the Great Recession when, you know, a lot of people had been really scammed into taking out crazy loans for houses they really couldn't afford. And there were a lot of people pushing for those Loans to be forgiven, etc. And I mean, the vitriol against that was pretty intense. It's a moral hazard. We can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, rich people get loans forgiven or restructured, not all the time, but quite often your Donald Trump's your real estate investors Companies are able to discharge debts or restructure them or come up with payment plans if they file for bankruptcy. People can file for bankruptcy and get their credit card loans. You know, you can make a deal and pay those off. Student loans, for some reason, you can't write them off in bankruptcy. They're on this other level, this other plane or something. And to argue that forgiving a little small slice of student loan debt is somehow a moral hazard, I just think it's just it's just a garbage argument. I'm not happy with it, but fine. I will take it seriously (laughs) for the purposes of this conversation. And because I respect Lizzie O'Leary. And if you say maybe it could be a moral hazard, I have to really think about it. And so I tried to, and I still, I don't think forgiving $10,000 of debt or even $20,000 of debt one time is really going to truly change students' behavior in the future. Like, I can't believe that parents or high school seniors are going to say, like, well, Joe Biden did this once-in-ever program one time that everyone freaked out about. It's definitely going to happen all the time going forward. Therefore, I will, what, go to a more expensive school, go to a a crazy graduate school? Like, I just, I don't really believe that's how this decision-making behind going to school happens. I could be wrong. I don't have hard data, right? But I just don't, I don't believe that argument.
0: Before we head out, we want to give you some recommendations. Emily, what are you loving right now?
1: So, okay. I don't know if I love this, but I have to talk about it. So, and I, and I think I should talk about it here on The Waves. It's a new program on the Disney Plus streaming network, Lizzie, called she Hulk colon Hmm. attorney at law. And (laughs) it's about... I just love the name. So Tatiana Maslany plays the titular character of She-Hulk, who becomes a Hulk because of... Well, you'll just have to watch and see, but she becomes a Hulk, but she wishes to remain an attorney at law and not become a superhero. And it is fun to see a superhero show about a woman and... The people who make the show are clearly really into that. At one point, she is talking to her cousin, First Hulk, and he's like, you have to learn how to control your anger. And Tatiana Maslany's like, I'm a woman and I'm a lawyer in a man's world. Of course, I know how to control my anger, you moron. (laughs) (laughs) And... He's like, it'll take you years to control your anger. She's like, I got this. I can control my anger. So I really like that. Um, I mean, it's a little clunky, but it's definitely worth a watch. Short episodes. Did you hear my? Can you hear my cat? I I can hear your cat. That's Fernando. He was napping, but I think She Hulk got him excited or something.
0: <laughs> All right, my recommendation. Um... I have a deep abiding love of thriller books because I have a 2-year-old and by the end of the day I I need to read something that's exceptionally gripping like I can't I I can't read literature right now I got to read something juicy. I love Karen Slaughter who writes crime books that are based usually in Atlanta and this one is called Girl Forgotten which I realize is just such a like airplane girl title woman in the blah 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 but anyway it's kind of a female revenge fantasy Mm. and against a very very bad man oh and I enjoyed it Um, that sounds good and I've probably read conservatively 15 of her books Karen Slaughter I just I just wait it's a ridiculous name I love it um I just wait for them to come out
1: Oh, I love that! I went through a phase of Irish mystery thrillers. Tana French. Oh yeah, I've, I've read
0: all of those. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: yeah, is this kind of like if you like that, you'll love this. But in Atlanta? if you like
0: that, you'll love this, but it's oh. got like a real Atlanta. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm so here for it. I got to get out of Ireland and London for my mysteries and thrillers.
0: That is our show for this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth.
1: Shannon Palace is our editorial director. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. This episode, we had some help from Anna Rubinova.
0: We would love to hear from you. You can email us at thewaves@sleep.com.
1: The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topics, same time and place.